0: Reading from the Epistle to the Galatians, chapter 5, beginning with verse 1, and then continuing with verse 13. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And continuing with verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I am warning you as I warned you before. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another, envying one another. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I want to tell you a, a personal experience of, a personal story of an experience that really, um, I don't know if I could describe how much, it, how much it moved my heart. I don't know if I could describe how overwhelming it was. I'm not even sure I can put that sense of that in words, but I'm going to give it a shot. Um, I think it's one of the times I first realized the depth of what we mean when we speak of being free in Christ. The depth of what we mean when we talk about the freedom that Christ gives us versus all those other notions of freedom that we suffer from in the world. You know, the most common notion of freedom is that you get to pick what you do, right? But ultimately, that's not freedom. That's being subject to your own will. And Paul would like to highlight for us by calling out the word flesh, and he's not saying that your body is bad and the spirit is good, because he talks about things that are obviously spiritual issues, like idolatry and sorcery and envy and jealousy and things like that, right? So he's not setting those things apart for us to say that material things are bad and spiritual things are good, but he's calling us to recognize that there's a freedom available to us in Christ that is not available to us when we try to do whatever we want to do. Is that fair? Christian freedom, it could be said is spirit living spirit-centered living instead of self-centered living? That's what it means to be set free in Christ is to no longer live for ourselves. I saw that in a place that I didn't expect to see it. August 10th of 2007. I got on an airplane August 5th, I believe it was, and for a really long flight, which terrified me because I've always had this haunting sense that I was going to die young and I just knew it was going to be on that trip. (laughs) And uh, I just knew that plane wasn't going to get to Madagalpa, Nicaragua, but the plane landed. And I was pretty certain I was going to die when the plane was landing because, you know, that's when it's dangerous, right? But plane landed, everything went fine. Um, and the last day we were doing mission work, we were supposed to go to a prison in the mountains. Now, this was a medical mission trip. I was invited to go by Dr. Robert Smoke, who very much informed my faith Um, I trapped myself in Bobby's world by handing Bobby a lay speaking sign-up form and saying, here, I signed you up for this. And the next thing I know, Bobby was taking me all over the place to do mission work. And he took me to Nicaragua. I would have never been able to afford to do that on my own, but he said to me, if you will go, I will pay for it. And I went to that first meeting expecting not to be the pastor of that group. I just wanted to go and do whatever we were going to do, dig a ditch, build a church, do whatever as a normal, you know, person like everybody else. See, even pastors know we're not normal. Y'all aren't alone in that thinking. And the next thing I knew, the Carolyn Dennis, who was leading it, found out I was a pastor, appointed me spiritual director of the trip. And Everything that I thought would happen with it just unfolded. I had this delicately planned house of cards that collapsed on the table in front of me. And the next thing I know, I'm sitting in the group room of the house we were staying in in Nicaragua. And the hostess, the woman who had opened her house to this mission organization called El Ayudante, which means the servant, she had opened her home to people from that group to come and live with them as a base of operations. She came to me that Wednesday night and said, when we go to the prison tomorrow, you're going to preach. I said, huh? (laughs) Now, I normally like to have plenty of preparation under my belt. I want to get out my little Greek Bible and my Greek stuff and read a little bit there. And I want to read this word, that word. And read a commentary too. I want to have some sense of what the text means. I want to struggle with it a little bit, you know. I want to show up and sound smart. You hear what I'm saying to you? That's a confession. That's called pride. That's sinful. It's right to laugh at that. I had no such chance. All I got was an opportunity to show up and be me in front of a bunch of people that for all I knew would like to kill me. She said, you're going to preach. I said, huh? (laughs) Oh, no, no, you're going to preach. I said, okay. Guess what you do, Right? (laughs) <laughs> this is how she looked at me. I oh yeah, yeah. I was terrified. And I got to thinking about what I would want to hear if I was stuck in that kind of prison. Because listen, this wasn't one of these Taj Mahals we build. It's up on the top of the mountain. And if you're laying around in the streets of Nicaragua in the Matagalpa area and you're drunk or you're high and you can't get up, there's a truck that will come around with you and people will get out of that truck and pick you up and put you in the tailgate of that truck in the bed of that truck, and haul you to that prison. And they will rehab you and clean you up. There were people there who had committed murder in the United States, had been deported and sent to that place. They had been caught in drug trades. The Mosquito Coast of Nicaragua was one of the most infamous drug trade places in the world. There were people that had been caught bringing drugs into the United States, had been put in this prison, and the more I heard, the more terrified I became. And then I realized, I don't speak Spanish. (laughs) And she wants me to preach. And I I was scared. And I got to thinking, and I remembered reading in Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the Bible, the message from Ephesians 1, and he's saying that we, in Christ, we are abundantly free. And I thought to myself, if I were in a place like this, If I were in a place like that where there's no chance I'm going to leave unless things just really get right for me, and for some of them, they were never going to leave, period. And they weren't living in nice little barracks with cable TV. They were living in split bamboo huts that were covered with plastic. Like for real prisons. And I remember thinking, what in the world do I have to say to them? I'm this privileged white guy from North America that my greatest hardship is deciding what I'm going to eat for breakfast sometimes. What in the world do I have to say to them? And I remember standing in front of those people and telling them that Christ could offer them freedom And they exploded with joy. People that had no reason to be happy. None. Some of them were infected with bug bites. You wouldn't believe. Sores all over them. It was horrible. We were there treating them and I was handing out Tootsie Rolls left and right because I felt so sorry for them. Praying with them and holding them. And when I started preaching, I would say a sentence and the hostess, she would translate it and I would say another sentence and they would go nuts. And I was wondering if she was saying what I was saying, you know? I said, really? And then I realized that what they were hearing was that they're already free. They don't need any other freedom than the freedom Christ gives them. And the freedom Christ gives them, they were experiencing that in that place as they held one another up. You could see them standing there in front of me arm to arm under this little thing that was maybe half the size of our sanctuary with four times as many people as are here today standing there shoulder to shoulder, arm to arm, holding each other up, some of them crying, some of them yelling, some of them happy, some of them sad, overjoyed, holding each other up literally. And I got the sense that their whole experience of this place had been, if they come here and they meet Christ, Christ teaches them to love one another, and they experience a community of freedom, even though they can't leave the prison. How bizarre is that? And I got my first taste of what Paul means when he says to us, your freedom does not exist in being able to do whatever you want to do. Your freedom exists in living with the Spirit's call on your life to follow after Christ. That day, I got to see what real freedom is. It's not being able to live and do whatever you want to do, buy a big escalade, do all this other stuff that's shouted to us from the rooftops when we celebrate July 4th. Nothing to do with any of that. Real freedom is being Christ's person wherever you are, even if it's in a seedy, horrible prison on a mountaintop in Nicaragua. Even if the circumstances of your life are so horrible... That you can't even get treatment for a sore on the top of your foot that's been open for four months. Those people were overjoyed in Christ. And I was so humbled and offended by myself and my prideful sense that I was the only person in that room who was truly free. Do you hear what I'm saying, church? I walked in there a July 4, 1776 American thinking I was the only person in that room who knew what freedom was about and I found out I was dreadfully wrong. They understood freedom better than I ever will. Because the only freedom they had was the only freedom that mattered. Being free to love Christ and love their neighbor as themselves. It was astounding. And it reminds me that when Moses went to Pharaoh to get the Hebrew people out of slavery to Egypt, he didn't say to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go so that they can go out and do whatever they want to do, be determined, work the job they want, do all those things, be whoever they want to be. What Moses said, God said to Pharaoh, was let my people go so that they may serve me. And that same message the Apostle shares with us this morning, we're set free for freedom. To be free in Christ. Not to turn our backs and go back into the slavery we were once in. Not to live for our flesh, live for ourselves, live for our own will. Do whatever we want, but to do what Christ wants which is to love the unlovable and love the neighbor, even as we talked about before Sunday school this morning, even the neighbor you built a fence so you didn't have to see anymore. Even our bad neighbors. Christian freedom is a change of masters. Christian freedom comes when we stop living for ourselves, and live for Christ. That's when it comes. Over and over, some Christian teachers like to stand up and talk about if we follow Christ, we get all this stuff we want. You know, Go pick up a Joel Osteen book and read it. And ask yourself if that lines up with all the martyrs who've been put to death throughout history and Christianity. Ask yourself if it lines up with Christians in a prison. Ask yourself if it looks like your own faith in your own life. None of us have those polished lives that people like Him sell to us. We all have hard edges in our lives. We all have suffering in our lives. We all have things that we struggle in our lives. And the best thing that we can do is admit it Admit it. Ask for help with it. Ask the church to help us bear it. Bear one another up toward Christ so that we can be set free to be obedient to Christ. Because that is what it truly looks like to be free. That's what it looks like to have your best life yet. It's not to have your life at all, but to lose it and have instead the life of Christ. Paul tells us what those things are that we've been enslaved by. And they're like a laundry list of American problems. I will never forget being in training for foster care and having this woman tell us the things that some parents have done to their children. To gratify their own sick desires. And not long after that, one of my coworkers said, I think we should legalize drugs because they're a victimless crime. So I recounted to him the stories of little three year old children who nearly starved to death because their parents chose crack over the child. I'm sick of hearing Americans say marijuana is a victimless crime. Look how many people choose it over their children. I'm sick and tired of us taking our own individual freedoms, our political freedoms as an excuse to do whatever the heck we want and ignore people who suffer and hurt and hurt and hurt and act like it's their fault and their problem when our Lord says to us, no, it's your problem because you are my people. And Paul is calling us to leave behind the slavery of self-will, the slavery of self-identification, the slavery of I'm in control of me, and take up slavery to righteousness, which is being slaved to Christ, which is the only freedom that we can truly ever have. It was the only freedom that mattered on that hilltop in Nicaragua, I promise you that. They didn't want any of that American freedom. They wanted Jesus' freedom. To be free from their sin, to be free from their hurt, and to be free to love each other as Christ had loved them. I was so overwhelmed by those people that day that my last words to them were, I will see you at the feet of Christ. Because I had seen in their faces that that's where they were. And I told them, I believe I will see you again at the feet of my Lord. Because I saw freedom in their eyes. That they had been set free from living for themselves to live for Christ. I wonder if you would grab your hymnal and turn to page 8 for a moment. Paul tells us that the contrariness that comes to us through Christ is that we can be a people of love, a people of hope, a people of joy, a people of peace. Peace. A people of patience and kindness and generosity and faithfulness and self-control and gentleness. And he tells us that this is the gift, the fruit of the Spirit. Not fruits, but a fruit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives is those things. That's what's available to us. To be people who are infected with love so greatly that it defines us as who we are. And the only thing that stands between us and that is confessing our sin and seeking to be free of it. And I want to point out to you words that we say every first Sunday when we come to the Lord's table. A confession that we make. And I wonder if you would join me as I confess my sin before you and ask God to free me for joyful obedience. For that, dear ones, is the freedom I truly want and the freedom that I hope you want. Would you join me in confessing our sin?